All right. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Yes, indeed. Welcome to another episode of The Core Report. Black Broadway presents The Core Report. And you know what we do over here, ladies and gentlemen? We do the news. We got a little bit of everything today coming from COVID. We haven't really touched on COVID in a couple of days, and I don't know why, but you all know the situation is as dire as ever. You know, we got to touch on the international implications of that, too. So we got that protest, man. This Portland movement, these Portland actions have revealed a lot about what the federal government has in store for the future of protesting. We're going to talk about it a lot here, you know what I'm saying? Across the country, state to state. Got to check in back in Jersey with this justice, this judge, excuse me, Silas story, which was insane. And of course, 45 and his usual shenanigans. We got a little sports too. All of that, man. The Core Report. You know what it is. Black Broadway presents The Core Report. You know the vibes, man. So, uh, like I said, man, you know, I have moved it down in the order of events for the past couple of broadcasts, but I'm glad that, you know, I have some interesting things or just some thought-provoking things to share with you about our, you know, station in the coronavirus right now, in the COVID-19 epidemic. You know what I mean? The schools is the biggest thing. The education piece is the biggest part of what everyone is panicking and concerned about most as it relates to COVID-19. Missouri's governor and Washington's White House is insisting that schools will open. Missouri's governor has went so far as to say, look, kids are going to get sick. They're going to stay home. They're going to get over it. Fuck it. We're not going to have them in hospitals. I'm paraphrasing, of course. But this is the Missouri governor's general outlook on this whole entire thing. Right now, we've got some promising words, though, from the vaccine department in Oxford, England, promising results from a study that says that a vaccine, you know, has reported the immuno response that they wanted, meaning that the blood cells and so on and so forth in lab tests have responded in the way that they would like to. Now, what's up next, of course, is the dreaded human trials. We're going to see how people move, how people are getting down with this, but Listen, nobody wants to be a guinea pig for an experimental virus vaccine and certainly not the African-American or quote-unquote most vulnerable population in the country. So whatever happens with this virus is pay attention to who it's administered to first, pay attention to its availability, and really think about its efficacy and how much trials it went through. Meanwhile, while we're talking about who's getting the vaccine and who's not, in sub-Saharan Africa... Cases are just beginning to explode right now. This is in sub-Saharan Africa is the Africa that often gets lumped into this, oh, this is just Africa, bones and huts, savage uh, lump. But this is actually dozens of countries from Democratic Republic of the Congo to Mozambique to Tanzania to, you know what I'm saying, to Botswana. All of these countries are included in sub-Saharan Africa and their cases are beginning to fly. Up in, they're saying that a peak is imminent. So while cases are rising in South Africa or sub-Saharan Africa, South Africa is nearing its peak. And we all know that the places that colonizers have settled in and the places that the wealth inequity is the largest tend to be the places that have the most dramatic effects of the coronavirus and the most dramatic and drastic death tolls. France and India have instituted new lockdowns, so they're rolling back measures that once opened these countries up, and they're seeing, I guess you could refer to it as the second wave, 
and they're preparing themselves by, you know, having mass mandates, having lots of people have to, pardon me, stay in shelter or shelter in place. And these are places like France, India, large portions of the population. Nigeria's foreign minister has tested positive for COVID, but on the positive front, Cuba, our neighbor to the south, has their first day with zero positive tests out of 130 days. Zero positive tests. Protests always going crazy. Trump has been promising, again, more federal law enforcement, more federal interaction in these places where they are having the largest protests. Portland, Oregon seems to be ground zero right now. And it's a very interesting case because Portland's problem with their police department and their problems with authority go back quite a while, decades even. And if you do a research on the history of Oregon as a state, you will find that Oregon was literally founded as a white supremacist or a white people's haven, ethnostate, if you will. You know what I'm saying? African-Americans were literally banned from living in Oregon. They banned slavery and they banned African-Americans from literally living in the state of Oregon. This is not a lie. This is not an exaggeration. There was a great article written in The Atlantic in 2016 about the entire extremely disturbingly racist history of Portlandia, Portland, Oregon, a place that we, you know, associate with craft beer and plaid shirts and really, you know, chill white people and legal weed. Like, this place has a large and deep and detailed history of revolt and civil unrest. And most of it revolves around the race problem. But if you remember the Bundy Ranch incident and all of that, those people originated from Oregon and they were defending land out in Wyoming and out in the plains. But that's a whole nother story. That's a whole entire topic that a lot of people haven't gotten into against the surface topic, which is police snatching people up off of the streets of Portland, Oregon at protest and putting them in unmarked cars. They're being arrested by unmarked agencies or unidentified agencies and people want answers. I'll tell you what, these policing tactics, while they're very alarming and especially with the aggressiveness that they're being rolled out with, they're not new at all. If you're from the hood, like I'm from the hood, I am very used to officers, if you could call them that, jumping out of police cars, if you could call them that, with no badges, no identification, just vests and guns, and snatching people up. This is the experience of people in an occupied territory. And that is what Trump and his cronies would like to see the entire United States represented as, an occupied territory. The police are an occupying force, exactly. The jump out boys. The jump out boys is a real thing. When they passed these laws saying that they were outlawing the jump outs and all that, I was like, wow, that's fucking decade too late. Like, if you grew up in D.C. in the 90s, you've been jumped out on, period. There's no way around that. You know what I'm saying? And the fact of the matter is, is that now these protests, these tactics are being applied to people who, again, just like us in the streets, we weren't necessarily doing anything wrong, but these people are making a spectacle out of not doing anything wrong. These are peaceful protesters. There is no violence. There are no anarchist burnings or lootings that they can point to and say that that is the crux of the movement. They tried that in the beginning of all of this, but what we noticed was that looters are going to loot, and that's not 
going to be a sustained activity. One, the police and capitalism isn't going to happen. And two, that's not the core of the movement. People weren't out there to burn and loot places of business and capital and all of that. People were really out there to protest their opposition to this racist system. And it's unfortunate that at this point in time, we all have to look out for violence and really unidentified, untenable, unpredictable violence from the state, which we're beseeching to cease the violence. We're asking the state to stop the violence and their response is more violence, heightened violence. So you got to know who you're dealing with, who you're rocking with. But in the meantime, in between time, you know, politicians are going to politic and legislators are going to legislate. So all the mayors of all of these cities. And by the way, this is Portland is just the beginning. Chicago is very, very much so next on the list. I mean, Chicago, it's and it's interesting because I hadn't heard as much about Chicago and the unrest in Chicago until this incident over the weekend with the Columbus statue and with the young lady, Miracle Brooks, being hit in the face with a police baton and knocking out her teeth. She's 18 years old, 18-year-old organizer, brutalized by the police. Of course, no charges filed, no filings, no firing, should I say, no action being taken. But the politicians, being the mayors, the black female mayors of Washington, D.C., Chicago, and Atlanta, along with the mayors of Portland, Oregon, Seattle, Washington, Los Angeles, and several other urban centers, sent a letter to Bill Barr, the attorney general, basically protesting and condemning them unleashing federal troops on their cities. But again, what are you going to do? You have no leverage. They have no you know, support to back up or to fight against the federal government and what is literally, in effect, tyranny. I find it very ironic that there's a lot of people who are claim to be Second Amendment defenders and real staunch, you know, advocates of gun rights, et cetera, et cetera. But when it comes down to it, when it, the gun rights or the right to own a firearm in America is predicated on defending yourself against the government, should the government become tyrannical. It's not predicated on defending yourself against crime or criminals. They definitely had other means to address that in colonial days, you know, i.e. slavery, whippings, debtors, prison, exile, all of that. What happened with the right to own guns, how that morphed into being able to defend yourself against criminals is real interesting because where it started was being able to arm yourself and organize in case the government should become tyrannical, which is exactly what has happened. So all these people who claim to be libertarians, who claim to be Second Amendment, you know, nuts and so on and so forth, they're missing their calling right now. They're missing the signal. Right now, the signal, the, the bat signal is in the sky. The AK, the chopper is in the sky right now. You need to respond because this is what's happening. And once they decide to unleash that type of force on you, I heard a brother on Democracy Now! who is uh, based in Chicago speaking on this. And what he was saying was it's basically too late. This has already happened. These forces have been unleashed. These these decisions have been made. These pl these plans have been set in place. And according to the administration, according to Customs and Border Patrol, which is just one of the agencies that has taken responsibility for placing troops in these particular scenarios and these combat, urban combat or protester counterinsurgency scenarios, they've said that they're planning to stay indefinitely. They have no plans to leave. They have no plans to abandon these new posts. Just like I mentioned 
in the early days of the George Floyd protest, during these protests, when the police, when the federal police encamped and, and embedded themselves in D.C., they're not leaving. That, that's it. Like, federal police are here to stay. They're going to be patrolling this city in even more clandestine ways than you can imagine. And if you're within their jurisdiction and in D.C., the whole city is their jurisdiction, you're done for. And what they're trying to do now is make the entire country their jurisdiction. So, like I said, politicians politicking, legislators legislating. AOC has um, introduced a bill which would require, he, she has some co-sponsors too, but, you know, of course, she's the star of the show here. So she, required, she introduced a bill that would require federal agents to identify themselves, would require anyone claiming to be federal law enforcement to identify themselves. It seems like a very basic cursory, you know, request. Of course, it's opposed by all Republican members, and we'll see if it ever makes it to the floor. Because right now, not only are we in the midst of a campaign season, but August recess is very soon upon us. And when August happens, all politicians know that that is break. We're not doing anything except for going back home and trying to get more money. And in the campaign year, we're going back home and we're trying to get elected. And if we're not Run, if we're not directly up for election, we're trying to get the president reelected or we're trying to get all of our other candidates or our supporting, you know, office men down the ballot reelected. So all of these things are happening. And speaking of reelections, an election is coming up soon. You know, once again, R.I.P. to John Lewis. We lost John Lewis this weekend. Legendary civil rights activist, longtime congressman. Been in Congress, a member of Congress, a member of the Congressional Black Caucus since 1987. John Lewis is a longtime congressman, and with those type of seats, those type of seats tend to not be passed down literally through uh, contested elections. They tend to pick a successor, and John Lewis's successor has been named, and her name is Nakima Williams, a black woman, and she's been she's a Georgia state senator. She's also an activist. She was arrested last year in the Georgia state capitol for protesting and demanding that all the votes be counted in the highly contested Stacey Abrams election. And we all know what happened there. We all know how that happened. Georgia's Secretary of State was in charge of the election that he was involved in for the highest office in the state. So we already, I mean, to assume that there wasn't any cooking in there, at least even by some subsidiaries who were supportive of of his cause, is ridiculous. So we all saw that happen. Nakima Williams vocal, outspoken, even went to jail about it. And she has been selected as John Lewis's replacement or successor, should I say, and um, for his seat in Georgia. And uh, it's up for election in, um, or in pardon me, in um, November. Her opponent is some reality show, talk show host chick from Georgia who Trump actually pardoned for being involved in for her conviction, excuse me, for her involvement in a car theft raid. This nigga's out here, he's out here pardoning car thieves who then have political aspirations. Much juxtaposed to the young lady who was running for office in New Jersey who was convicted of a marijuana offense, actually served four years as a, in a marijuana-related offense and came out and became an attorney and is now running for, I believe she's running for district attorney in New Jersey. That's how you flip the system on its head. That's how you turn this whole entire thing around. But 
like I said, elections, politics, etc., all of that. I don't particularly believe in those things as an effective brand of protest or as an effective means of protest. Uh, I respect John Lewis and respect all the politicians who have fought the struggle within the halls of Congress, within the halls of legislatures for years. I realize without them, you know, we wouldn't be able to claim, lay claim to a lot of the advancements that we've made. But if the goal is liberation, then there's going to be a different focus that's going to be necessary. There's going to have to be a different level of dedication and aggressiveness that politicians aren't necessarily able to muster. However, the people on the, the right or the people in opposition, let's just, I don't even want to use cardinal directions. The people in opposition are not opposed to summoning whenever they feel necessary. Which brings me to our next story, tragedy. I talked about this yesterday, the story of Judge Elaine Salas out in New Br- North Brunswick, New Jersey, who is the first Latina elected to the New Jersey District Court. And she was attacked in her home last night by a gunman who killed her 20-year-old son and injured her husband critically. The gunman's been identified as a white dude named Roy Den Hollander, and he's a lawyer. He actually had appeared in her court before. His whole angle as a lawyer or his issue, and it's convenient that they managed to paint him as somewhat of a nut. Uh, his issue is that he was a vehement anti-feminist, and he believed that ladies' night was unconstitutional and other trivial you know, matters like that. Lots of, lots of um, uh, alleged male inequity, incel rhetoric, a lot of that bullshit. Which is really wild because that's a very dangerous part of the internet. That whole incel community, like they're armed, they're highly motivated, and they're deeply unhinged. So not to take any, you know, seriousness away from that. But like I said, for the internet conspiracy theorists among us, you know, I would maybe count myself as one. People say, oh, he was involved in that Epstein shit and he was with Jelaine Maxwell and, you know, she was on she was on that case or on a case with Deutsche Bank, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, killing a federal judge is a very, very wild step to take <laughs> in order to secure someone's freedom or someone's innocence. So if that and not saying that the shit is beyond the pale, but just to say that, like, if that's going to happen, then. It's typically going to happen in a very clean manner and in a very in a very mysterious, very neatly tied up package. And I don't think this was that nor that was that this. But it gives you that space to think about it. And also to tie all those things together doesn't take a rocket science. So you never know what the actual end day motive was. But I'm a journalist. I'm here to ask questions. I'm here to grab information that makes me ask questions, that gives me the opportunity to present information to other people, that makes them ask questions. And then maybe, collectively, we can all get some answers. And that's the damn goal here. I tell you, some answers that have been handed out in a very interesting way. The St. Louis couple, who was one guy, the the, uh, husband, I think their last names are the McConnells or something of that nature, whatever, holding an assault rifle, the wife, holding a 22 with her finger on the trigger, looking real reckless, pointing these guns at the protesters who were marching past their house, not necessarily to their house or at their house, marching past their house. They 
felt the need to aim guns at these people, they've been charged with unlawful use of a weapon. Kim Gardner, who is the first African-American district attorney in St. Louis, brought these charges against these people. So you look at that, and she's a sharp contrast to the black district attorney of Louisville, Kentucky, who hasn't brought any charges against the killers of Breonna Taylor. Just think about it. Think about the political courage that it took to do that after Trump already said that he supported these people, et cetera, et cetera. And think about the common sense that it would take, just the human decency that it would take to file charges against the killers of Breonna Taylor. Judicial jurisprudence, whatever you want to call it. You take it back to another judge using their prerogative in a very interesting, perhaps you could say mean, uneven-handed way, but here's the deal. The case we spoke about the other day of the young lady, and we'll just call her Grace. She's being called Grace in the media because they haven't released her name yet. She was actually in prison since May for failure to follow a judge's order, which included uh, completing her homework assignments and doing some other school-related assignments. Because of her failure to complete these things, she was ordered to be incarcerated. She's been locked up since early May. Her case came up due to a lot of the media attention that's been brought to this case by ProPublica and other outlets. Her case came back up in the docket. The judge ordered her to be held. He said she should not be released. He said she won't be released because she is benefiting from this incarceration in his estimation. It's nuts. Yo, my man Barnsley is in the house. He said he won't. <laughs> it's crazy. Before I even... Before I even got that sentence out, like you said, he will not grant this young lady any kind of relief. She's still being held. Uh, her only statement during the court session was, according to reports, uh, I miss my mother. And in social media, there's been a letter that's been put out that's, you know, write, writing to her mother, you know, rather eloquently about this experience that she's having right now and how she's being, you know, she feels suppressed. She feels like she's being punished, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, that's what that's the criminal justice system for you. And that's the school to prison pipeline for you in a nutshell. That is literally the clearest example possible of the school to prison pipeline. And you see it's being upheld by judges. Never forget that judge who is incarcerated currently right now for locking so many kids up in the state of Pennsylvania because his friends ran the private prisons there. And he found all kinds of justifications to do that. There's been lots of stories in the media recently about a lot of protesters who expected to be let go post-protesting or post their arrest for, you know, exercising their First Amendment rights. And a lot of them have found themselves buried in the criminal justice system. It's wild, man. So inside it up, yeah, uh, we've still been having protests and we've still been having larger and larger protests. Over 10,000 people this week participated, me, yesterday, participated in the national strike for black lives. And this strike was focused on workers. Many of the people who people have now referred to as essential workers or heroes or integral parts of the economy, you know, these people, surprise, surprise, aren't being treated correctly. These people who work for McDonald's, Target, Starbucks, etc. Yesterday was a national call to action, national workers strike, Tens of thousands of people participated. People protested on Capitol Hill for fair wages, for living wages. And all of this is underneath the shadow of the unemployment insurance running out 
sooner rather than later. It's on the chopping block for July 31st. I'm not of the opinion that they're going to entirely slash that. That would cause pandemonium that they don't really want to see happen. I'm of the opinion that it will be drastically cut in some way, shape, or form. And, you know, there'll be some some added, you know, caveats attached to it. But again, that's politics, that's legislation, and that's all a game that's meant to work out the best for the people who can benefit the most. So with that being said, our president is still out here making asinine statements. After Sunday's fiasco with Chris Wallace on Fox News, today he decided to have a coronavirus task force meeting, which is ridiculous. I mean, he hasn't publicly appeared in one of those since I believe it's April. And those par- those particular programs have never been helpful to anybody. He's pulled out a mask. He said that he's an advocate of mask wearing. He appreciates the mask. I wear the mask when I have to. I go there. Da, 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 da. His craziest statement is that he wished Jelaine Maxwell of the Jeffrey Epstein sex child trafficking porn scandal he wishes her well. He's he's saddened to hear about her circumstances in lockup, and he wishes her well. Do with that what you will. It's very incredible. Another thing you can do with what you will is uh, Kanye is apparently, you know, after his Twitter rant, like after the shenanigans of, you know, the, the campaign event in Charleston, he went on a real unhinged Twitter rant and was suggesting that uh, Kim Kardashian and Kris Jenner had plotted to have him locked up, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the internet began to speculate and to tell people, or just to throw around the the idea, the thought. And even I suggested it on the um, show. Where are these guys' friends? Who are these guys' people? So apparently today his friends flew out. Among his friends is Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle flew out to Wyoming today to rock with Kanye and to, you know, ostensibly help this brother get back on the right track. Not saying that Kanye doesn't deserve all the help he can get to get back on the right track, but getting back on the right track, I think, is such a far goal. Right now, stabilizing this dude is, I guess, everyone's number one goal. And it's interesting. I read this on Twitter, and, you know, tweets sometimes stick with me. They resonate with me. But this was a good, this was a good one. Niggas had a lot of joke energy for uh, Meg when she got shot, and even after she made that statement about how hurt she was about being shot and being in that whole position. Now, people have nothing but thoughts and prayers for Ye, though. Nothing but thoughts and prayers. I mean, I'm not one of those people. I got these jokes. Not only do I have these jokes, but I have this harsh cultural criticism because the shit is irresponsible. But at the end of the day, that's y'all boy. That's what's happening. And that's, you know, the entertainment culture that we built up, that we, you know, lionize these people. Um, I tell you, sports and entertainment go hand in hand. So, you know, the NBA bubble. As much as I don't want this to be happening in the age of COVID-19, the NBA is happening. And uh, in the NBA bubble, players are doing something that I find, you know, respectable. Players are skipping all the questions to focus on social justice issues. Tobias Harris... Plenty of other players have decided that to all their questions that they're asked about, you know, whatever the NBA bubble is or isn't or how they feel about the season, their answers are going to be 
Uh, I believe that the two people who arrested, who killed Breonna Taylor should be arrested. I believe that George Floyd's killer should be convicted. All their answers are going to be focused around social justice. I like that. You know what I'm saying? The NBA, if like a lot of people have said this and it's true. Adam Silver is an organizational genius. He came up under the wings of David Stern. He came up under the tutelage of the GOAT who knows how to run a league. Perhaps the best sports conditioner or excuse me, commissioner that we've ever seen in my lifetime. Adam Silver is doing it right. The NBA bubble court looks sweet. As much as I don't want this to be happening, wow, this court looks sweet. And not only does it look sweet, but it looks like a sustainable idea for how basketball is going to be experienced moving forward. Like, there's a crowd, but it's very small. Like, it's very heavy on screens and technology. I'm sure there's going to be angles galore. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of dope shit that we miss out of NBA games that is going to be accentuated in this particular experience, you know what I'm saying? In this experiment, should I say. But, again, it's entertainment, it's a distraction, but I like how the players who are becoming increasingly more, you know, socially justice-minded, much more conscious, much more active, I like how they're taking these things into their own hands, you know what I'm saying? And, yo, uh, that's the news game, you know what I'm saying? Sports and entertainment, all this, that, I'm loving this, I'm killing this, 30-minute time slot that I wanted to rock with. Yo, before I get out of here, I got to say thank you to everybody for listening. You love it. You hate it. Yo, I got trolls on Facebook and subs and all types of it. I like it. I'm having interesting conversations with interesting people. What I need to do personally is make it a very real point to reach out personally to everybody. You know what I'm saying? Because we're building bridges here. We're building a community. We're building something that we would like to see not only sustain, you know, my life and, you know, my family, but see this sustain our community. See this thing come together in a way that we can say, oh, wow, this is a network. This is a channel that we all support. These are the people that these are the platforms that we listen to. This is the reputable source that we go to for information. And that's what we're trying to build. And in order to do that, you know, we just got to do it all together. Y'all know a lot of shit I don't know. Y'all know people I don't know. You know, things I don't know. You have insight on stories that I don't know. And it's just all about investigating and connecting and combining our powers and our capabilities together, man. We started this Patreon page, man. I would love it if everybody who watches this, who tunes into this, checks it out sees what level would you like to be involved, and just your support, just your views mean everything to this project and to the consistency of this thing. As you can already figure out, I'm obsessed. I'm not going to stop. I really don't care who likes it, who doesn't like it. I really don't feel as though it's something that needs to be um, jammed into a box where it's easily consumable and it's something that people just want to fuck with because it's trendy. No. Let's do the work. Let's do the news. Let's do the research. Let's build the community. Let's write these articles. Let's connect with our community in the best way possible, man, for real. And that's what we are, man. Like I said, Black Broadway on all platforms. Black Broadway on Patreon now, man. Check us out, man. Patreon.com 
Check it out. See if you see anything you like, you love. Oh, we got a fly mug, too. Ooh, we got merch. New merch. But, you know, that's a whole other thing, man. Shout out to my boy GB in the building, man. Shout out to everybody on Facebook. Shout out to everybody on Apple Music or Spotify. Shout out to my neighbor for asking me what the hell is this all about because he see the lights booming out of my windows every day. Man, this is love, yo. We're growing. We're glowing. It's Black Broadway Podcast. You know the vibes, man. Remember, things work out the best for the people that make the best of the way that things work out. It's the news, baby. And we'll holler at you tomorrow. Peace. <laughs> Ending. Ending.